You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Packernet After Dark. It's the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. And if you'd like to participate, you can do so at 608-501-0718. Go ahead and call in, leave a message, and we'll talk about it. New callers, go directly to the front of the line. As of today, we have no new callers, so we're just going to pick up right where we left off, which was with Jim in Arkansas. Hey, Ryan, this is Jim from Arkansas. Sure College. is. Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, I've, I've been listening to your podcast, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around about LeFleur and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be LeFleur's team. Until Rogers is gone. I mean, you're right. He he looks up to him. He does whatever Rogers wants, and I think he's intimidated by him. It feels and that way. Until Rogers is gone, we're not really going to know what Matt Lafleur is as a coach. Yeah, and I, I just I want to make sure everyone's clear. I'm not stating anything as fact. I have no idea any of this stuff. Same with locker room, Rogers' impact on the locker room, any of that stuff. It's just based on what it appears to be to me. All right. I, I don't know. And that's part of the reason why I don't know the answer to what to do with Matt LaFleur. I'm not entirely sure what to do with Aaron Rodgers because I'm not 100% sure that any of the things that I'm saying are true. But based on what feels the most correct to me, these are the conclusions I've come to. Right? So, for example, if you told me 100,000% that this is the reality that Matt LaFleur, you know, I don't even know how to phrase it can't get control of this team in the locker room, cannot sort of take on its own identity until Aaron Rodgers is gone, then that's 100%. We have no choice but to move on. If, if the point is that Matt LaFleur just doesn't have what it takes to lead a locker room regardless of Aaron Rodgers, I don't know that we have a choice but to move on from Matt LaFleur unless, again, we can have Brian Gutekunst try to force feed this locker room full of leaders, which is really hard to do considering our salary cap situation is such a disaster. And it's unlikely you're going to get that from rookies to come in and take over a locker room. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it really depends the reality and how confident I am in, in um, what I think we should do depends on how confident I am with the opinion to begin with. So I, I don't really know any of these things, but it certainly feels this way when you see Lafleur kind of have these, Almost, uh, you know, like when you yell at your dog and they kind of like cower a little bit and they kind of, you know, their heads down and they're looking up at you with a little bit of shame. That's how it feels when a play goes wrong. And Matt LaFleur is kind of looking over at him like, like, I hope you're not mad at me. I don't know that, but that's how it feels. And not just to me, I think to the general public. And again, I don't even know what was going on with the punting thing. I don't know if he was talking to Rogers. I, I may, maybe Rogers was yelling over to him. Um, and he was, because it kind of was like, what, what, what? And then it, it almost seemed like at the end, he shook his head and was like, no, we're not doing that. So maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? Like these things can get misconstrued, but it's the totality of the picture. Even if that was misconstrued, it doesn't matter because all these little things put together point in one direction. And it's not a direction I'm a super big fan of. Maybe every single little tidbit is misunderstood and it's all just this massive misunderstanding and, and whatever. But, um, 
yeah, I just, I just, I wanted to clarify that point. But that is, in my estimation, the best conclusion of what's going on. And I don't like it. Clearly. <laughs> Even the offense that's being run. Yeah, I think it's mostly Rogers' offense. I don't think it's, it's LeFleur's offense right now. It, it's got a couple of looks like LeFleur, but uh, I don't think this is really his offense. So. Yeah, and even with that, I mean, we, we it's kind of a sliding scale thing, right? We know 100,000%, and this is true of most teams, the quarterback has an influence on what happens, right? Even even if the coach has 100% of, of the uh, say over the playbook and even the play calling, there's there's checks, and even if there's not checks, there's a decision to throw to or not throw to whoever you want. You're the quarterback. Once Once you break the huddle, it's all on you. Right, so if the play is designed to go to the X and you throw to the Y and, and either it works or it doesn't work, that's not exactly what the playbook said, right? Um, and then there's, you know, again, in addition to that, the checks and the hand signals changing the play, like I think we should run this instead of that. And then, yeah, how much of the actual playbook itself is based on trying to cater to what Rodgers thinks we should do. We, we know that they talk. We know Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers talk and discuss these things, and Rodgers has his input. Right, we heard the comments about. I think we should um, simplify. And Matt Lafleur's comment was, "I don't even know what that means." But obviously, they talk about these things. How much of Rogers' influence has been on this? So we know it's not zero, and we're sure it's not a hundred percent. The question is, how much? And then the the further question is, when Rogers is removed from the equation, and it becomes closer to a hundred percent Matt Lafleur, because again, even with Aaron uh, with uh, Jordan Love, you've got decisions being made. But there's going to be significantly less checks, and I'm sure Matt Lafleur is going to have I don't want to say no input, but he's not really going to care too much about Jordan Love coming in and saying, hey, have you thought about... It's like, dude, just get out. Um, and the, the, the question then is, how much is that a net benefit, right? Are, are we benefited because Rodgers' influence is really helping the team because he's so much smarter than Matt LaFleur in terms of what we should be doing as a team and as, as, as a play calling and all that stuff? Or is it holding us back and it's going to help? So again, I don't know. But clearly, there's a lot of influence from Rodgers. And so, yeah, if, if the offense succeeds, he's going to get a little bit more praise than your average quarterback. But if it fails, I mean, you, you can't necessarily 100% blame the coach when you're part of the, the thing, you know? You're part of the game plan. You're part of why the offense is what the offense is, even in terms of the players, the, the roster construction to some degree, comes down to Aaron Rodgers because they ask for his input more than they would anybody else, any other quarterback, because he's essentially demanded that. So, yeah. Yeah, hopefully uh, we get to see what happens soon. And uh, I'd love to see Jordan Love play next year, see how it goes. But uh, anyway, you know, I got to let you know the Packernet After Dark last few days has been great. Thank you. Uh, listening to everyone's comments you know they, they really encapsulate a lot of how i feel about this last game so uh it's been nice to know i'm not alone listening to it and uh i've been meaning to talk to you for a while there is this movie called dead stream that dead you have to stream. check out it is like a horror comedy i don't even Ugh. know if that is like a new genre or something but uh it, it's a horror i know you like horror movies it was pretty creepy um but it was hilarious too so, uh, anyways, if you get a chance, check it out. To be fair, it could be classified as a horror comedy. <laughs> I don't think it is, but there's a p- few parts in there that make you chuckle. But it, it's the horror comedy that I like have to do with like the bad guy, sort of like the Joker has like this dark sense of humor. That's like, dude, that's pretty funny, or like that's you. You almost a, it's a little weird. But to a degree, you almost admire the bad guy a little bit, and that's how I felt with it. But that's that's the full extent of, uh, like, as far as I want to go with horror comedy, which does seem to be a new genre, and, like, 90% of the recommendations are horror comedies. Um, I'll try it, man. I'll check out Deadstream. We'll see what's going on. Is it a it's a movie, you said? or It's easier if it's a movie than a TV show. Because it, when it's a TV show, it's like, yeah, the first 17 episodes... They kind of suck, but then it really picks up. So you got to stick in there. It's like, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, you know? But all right, I got it. I got a little tab up on my thing here. As soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to get back to working on my spreadsheets for, uh, for the draft and whatnot. And I'll pop on Deadstream and we'll see how she goes. And uh, talk to you later. All right.
Cool, man. Cool, cool. Cool, bud. Cool, man. <laughs> Hang up, Jim. Thank you. All right. Next up, we got Seth. Hey, Ryan. It's Seth. Sure is. Uh, I just got to say, at least we're not the Bears. Oh. <laughs> you know, be uh, be so delusional that you think you have a top-tier up-and-coming quarterback, but yet you have the first first pick in the draft. I don't think that happens if your quarterback's good. <sighs> I have so much to say. First of all, you hit the nail on the head. Has there ever been a team with an elite quarterback that had the number one overall pick? Ever. That doesn't happen. Right? Because guys like Rodgers, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Peyton Manning, they've had bad things happen. The Packers have had down years, but never to this extent. And again, when you factor in, they had like a historically good run game. Um, I mean, the defense certainly struggled, but they had their, you know, there were a couple things going for them. It's not as though everything else was so bad, except the quarterback was so elite, which is hilarious. Statistically, he's just pure garbage. Um, but you're right. And, and, and to further that point in terms of not wanting to be the Bears, they are in the worst possible situation you could possibly be in. They don't have a lot going for them. They've got a couple players that, that make sense. Um, but the worst part is, and I don't know what their GM is thinking. I'm sure their GM is smarter than the fans in terms of being more realistic and not being so insane about defending guys that aren't very good. Um, like he shipped off Roquan and a bunch of other guys that Bears fans said were so great until they left and suddenly said, they weren't even that good anyways. Like, yeah, okay, I've been telling you that for three years and you don't want to listen. Um, but they're in a really bad position because I think they're misevaluating everything. They have a massive need at quarterback. They really, 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 really do. Really do. Um, the only thing that's going for Justin Fields is his rushing ability, and he's already building up injury issues. And the only other guy in the league that is somewhat similar to Justin Fields is Lamar. And Lamar is a significantly better passer, although not a great passer, but it's significantly better, and he's racking up serious injury issues. He is. He, he, he didn't finish the season last year. He's out of the playoffs so far this year. I don't think he's playing this weekend. Or was that today that happened? I haven't seen it yet. Um, I don't know. But you need a quarterback. Beyond that, again, according to the fans, one of the biggest needs is offensive line. They have a very good offensive line. And that's not to say they couldn't upgrade it, but it's one of the brighter points. If you look at, for example, the overall PFF grade, if you look at all this stuff, the fans are obsessed with, well, look at all the sacks. The sacks are because he holds onto the ball too long. It's the exact same thing we talked about. The reason why our pressures increased when we started pressuring less is because we were more focused on coverage. And what's more important with pressures is coverage than actual pass rush. Because hold, getting the quarterback to hold onto the ball is going to increase your chance of pressures more so than, you know, the talent of the pass rusher. And so when you have somebody like Justin Fields who holds onto the ball longer than anybody else in football, he's going to have more sacks. And it's by a wide, wide, wide margin. He holds onto the ball. And it doesn't matter if he's scrambling around. Okay, well then, how many of his sacks are while he was scrambling around? A bunch, right? It doesn't matter. But um, so that that's the problem. That they're they're bottom of the bottom of the barrel as far as a football team goes, and they're not even going to address it properly, because they're going to continue to try to build and build and build and build and build, and they're going to build in the wrong directions. They're going to build offensive line, which is not as big of a need. They're going to focus on wide receiver, which I'm not going to say isn't a need. But let's be completely honest about something. Although Bears fans were way 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 overvaluing um, Darnell Mooney. He was never this bad. And for them to simply look at, you know, they're saying he's a, I don't know, top 10 wide receiver and he was really like a top 20 or something, you know, minor nitpicky stuff, whatever, right? The, the, the point was, going into last season, even Packer fans acknowledged, okay, Mooney is better than anybody we have, but then like the second, third, fourth best guys are all Packer guys. That was basically the argument. We conceded that Mooney was better than everybody we have. Suddenly Mooney's like the worst in football and Bears fans are like, oh, he's trash. We got to replace him. Wait, 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 wait a minute. 
you have to address the question of why. Why did he completely fall off? I don't understand. If, if, if you don't address why really good wide receivers are becoming garbage wide receivers in this offense, you can throw as many wide receivers in there as you want. Go ahead and get DeAndre Hopkins or anybody else that you guys are pumping up. Go draft whoever you want. It doesn't matter. Because until you figure out why Darnell Mooney completely fell off a cliff, I don't know that you're going to be able to... Uh, by the way, Allen Robinson, the year before, completely fell off a cliff. Not to say that he revived his career anywhere he didn't, but... There seems to be this trend of really talented wide receivers just completely going to zero in this offense. Maybe it's the quarterback, or or if not, you got to figure it out because you're just you're <laughs> you're not going to fix this. So they don't they don't even know. I don't think how to fix it. Now, if they actually draft a quarterback. Then I'll start to look at Ryan Poles and go, okay, he's acknowledging. But but the point is, they have so many holes to fix. And the one major hole they need to fix, I don't think they're going to touch, and that's quarterback. And this is going to be the best chance that they get because as they begin to build around Justin Fields, the team will get better, which is just going to pull them out of range of actually getting a quarterback. So by the time they realize they need a quarterback, they're going to be picking pick 12, 13, whatever. Um, they're going to be getting you know seven, eight wins, and they're not going to be in range of actually getting the quarterback that they need, which means they're going to take another swing at another Justin Fields, a, a guy that's going to go at around pick 10-ish. After the first two already rip off the board, and you get the one with a bunch of question marks. You get the Mac Jones, you know, who seems kind of great and has kind of got this and that going for him, but a lot of question marks, and then you hang on to him for however many years. So yeah, for a lot of reasons, I would hate to be the Bears. Not only are they garbage, but the prospect of them actually improving is so much lower than any Bears fan will ever realize or want to admit. Um, so yeah, love that they uh, that they suck yep. and that their quarterback sucks. And you know they'll probably not draft a quarterback because they think Fields is good. Even yep. though the smart exactly. thing to do would be to take a quarterback and move off the Fields. Um, so loving loving all of that. I I was so happy when I saw that they got the first overall pick. I mean they're the worst team in the NFL and. Uh, I grew up in a Bears household, so it makes it even sweeter. There you go. Um, one other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is, do you think we have an issue with our surgeon and or training staff? Or I'm not sure if we have a team surgeon, if they got outside surgeons, but just the fact that Dalton Jenkins and Bakhtiari's surgeries didn't go well. And I know Bakhtiari's was... Uh, more complicated, but Elton sounded straightforward, and he still had any issues throughout the year. And I don't know. I'm just wondering that. I'm hoping that's not the case because I'm hoping Rashawn comes back just as good or better than ever. All right, that's all. Um, I don't necessarily think so. Um, I mean the David Bakhtiari thing is definitely unique, and I don't really understand that. That was kind of a disaster. It sounded like it was just it was a very, very serious knee injury that had multiple levels and layers to it. And maybe we didn't address all of it, which yeah, would point to well, why why didn't we figure this all out to begin with? And having to go back in and everything. Elton, though, I'm not I guess I don't really know. It felt like a reasonable timetable. I think that we brought him back on the early side of things. In other words, he could have been out significantly longer, but we brought him back. And it was more or less just that his play was not up to snuff. Um, I'm guessing most people that come back from ACL are going to be on the injury report and they're going to be on light loads and they're going to, you know, because you're going to want to monitor that. Um, I guess I would just say I'm not to that point yet of saying, I think there's a problem here, but we'll have to certainly monitor that because the David Bakhtiari thing clearly was a debacle, whether that's the surgeon's fault or the team doctor trainer's fault, whatever, I don't know. Um, I think one of the more disappointing things which would fall on the training staff probably is, it seemed clear that he needed time to heal and they were not giving him that time. I mean, he did have a lot of time, but it seemed like every time they kept bringing him back, then his knee would swell up, fill up with fluid, whatever. Um, and they just kept putting him through that. I don't know. You know, like for example, we brought him back for the Lions game and then he missed the playoffs because we brought him back for the Lions game and his knee swell swelled up. So number one, we didn't know that that was going to happen which seems surprising and like maybe we should have known that that was going to happen because we know 
have a really good idea what's going on with his knee, but apparently we didn't. And number two, again, just the decision in itself, you bring him back for that Lions game and then he misses the more important game. That's just kind of a dumb decision in general. So it just seems like there wasn't really a great understanding of the situation with David Bakhtiari, which which isn't great. Hey, Ryan, what's going on? It's uh, Ryan Santos. What's up, man? Hey, you know, I was just thinking, I was listening to your podcast, and I've been watching a couple other uh, film breakdowns on uh, Twitter and uh, YouTube, and, you know, I'm thinking, I wonder how much um, Jamal Williams played into the Detroit's run defense. Um, now, I know that when players leave the teams and, like, you know, every year teams have, you know, they change their calls, you know, they modify their playbook, they tweak things, you know, to to account for, you know, players coming in and players coming out. But Jamal was here for a while. Was he here for his first four seasons, right? That was a while, yeah. And he was, he was a running back. You know, he was very integrated into the offense. And I just wonder, you know, how much he played a role into just knowing the tendencies yeah. of, you know, Aaron Jones and Matt LaFleur and the offensive line and just, you know, the scheme overall. You know, I mean, I think that someone as smart as Jamal Williams and that was as integrated as long as he was could just be helpful to some degree. And I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not, you know, that it, it was probably a small percentage, if if at all, but... You know, I was just thinking about that because I do agree. Um, looking at some of the film and listening to your pod from today, it just really feels like Detroit, they just knew. Now, it could just be that the whole LaFleur scheme is almost like McCarthy, you know, where the last few years everyone just knew. What you're, it's right. like, I think with McCarthy, people knew many years what right. you were going to do. We were just so loaded with talent. There was just nothing you could do about it. Right. But towards the end there, when we didn't have receivers and we just had Devontae and nobody, I think that, you know, it became just, you know, easy to defend. And I'm starting to think the same with LaFleur that either, what I'm saying is I think either, or maybe both things are true. Jamal Williams played a big factor in the run defense uh, and, and preparing them. Um, and or LaFleur's scheme is just, and, and the, my last comment is I really agree with you with that offensive line stuff. Um, I watched some, some people break down the film this morning, and it is just, I listened, I, I saw that, and then I heard your pod, and then I thought to myself, you know what, this is, it's insane what she's expecting uh, some of the old, some sense of linemen to do as far as getting to the next level. So just a combination of things, man. I, I think I say all of that just, just to say that I feel like this whole season, um, you know, the Packers have been predictable, and I think that, Detroit seems to just really have the Packers number, which made me think that maybe Jamal Williams kind of played, kind of gave them that edge, you know. Anyhow, um, that's it. I don't think I've ever caught your show this early in the morning. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, a um, couple things. First of all, as far as them understanding things, I mean, it really, that to me really seemed like the biggest thing is Detroit just had us completely figured out. And that even plays into the... You know, I was complaining about the offensive line and what they asked him to do was impossible. It's not necessarily impossible. So it's a very visual thing, but if you picture it, picture you're, for example, the right guard, you're John Runyon. And you're going to run to the left. But not only are you going to run to the left, but there is a defensive tackle who is not head-on, but let's say your left shoulder is not even quite to where the other guy's left shoulder is. So he's, he's to your left. So you not only have to run to your left to get to that guy, but you have to get to his right side. You have to get to the left of him and then turn and wall him off. That's a really hard thing to do. It's not necessarily impossible if that defensive tackle doesn't know what to do, but part of the reason why it seemed so completely impossible and was impossible is because as soon as we snapped the ball, what did, defensive, what did the Lions defensive line do? They sprinted hard to their right. If... If we're both in a dead sprint as soon as that ball snaps, I'm not going to get to the other side of you. There's no chance. I can't catch you. The only way is if you're standing flat-footed and I come running across and I'm able to catch you. The fact that as soon as we snapped the ball, everybody on that defense knew exactly where to go and they went full speed. Now, and, and here's the other thing. 
We don't do that because the 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 reason why you wouldn't do that is because you're worried that if you go full speed in the wrong direction, you're going to get killed. So why couldn't we do that? And then you look and you say, well, a couple times we did try that. We we would try this, try that, and suddenly they're not as aggressive. Weird, weird that suddenly on the plays in which we try to trick you a little bit, or we we use the uh, you know, take advantage of the fact that it's in man, and we're going to send Christian in motion, or you know we're we're going to start to the left and then throw to the right. Suddenly, they're not sprinting to that side. They're kind of being a little bit more weird. Every time we tried to catch them for being too aggressive, they weren't too aggressive. So, yeah, that, that's the only thing I could think is, is the Lions, it's almost as if they were tapped into our headsets because they just knew exactly what to do at the exact right time. Now, it's still ridiculous that we're constantly asking our offensive linemen. If you go and look at the Substack and listen back to that um, uh, the, the, the time when I was talking about our offense. And then I've got the sheet along with it. One of the plays I even detailed, here's how you could block this better. And it makes more sense. So you're not putting these guys in as difficult of a situation. You know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not Coach Hahn. I don't, I don't know this stuff, but I've seen them run enough different concepts to know that rather than having this guy run all the way across there, why don't you have the guys that are there block and then pull a guard and have him come through and try to get up to the next level? Have him lead block. I mean, these, these, are, these are simple adjustments just so that even if they decide to get the jump, my guy's already there. So it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to do anything. So I don't know if maybe it's it's a the the center is the one, Josh Myers, that needs to be making the adjustments or calls, or whether it's Rodgers. But either way, at some point, somebody in the booth or Matt LaFleur or the offensive coordinator or somebody down the line needs to look at it and say, hey, we're doing this and we need to stop. We need to be doing this. And if somebody needs to get in Josh Myers' face and be like, look, you need to be making these adjustments or Rodgers, you need to be making these offensive line adjustments, something. Something is, somebody's not doing something. Because it just doesn't make sense. You know, it's one thing to say, well, Detroit did a great job of using their fronts to complicate what we're doing. Okay, but but you can see what they're doing. And you have to be able to adjust out of that. Whether that's the offensive coordinator, the head coach, or the guys that are on the field making an adjustment saying, this is not going to work. As we have it called and as they're aligned, this cannot work. Check out of it. Check out of that play. Do something else. Or, or make an offensive line adjustment. But we didn't. We just ran into it knowing it had 0% chance of success. And I, I just, I don't get it. As far as um, the, the whole kind of tipping the, the scales in their favor, the only thing I can think is to look at yards per attempt against Detroit on the season. And um, both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones had one really bad day against them and one mediocre day against them, and they kind of reverse. For A.J. Dillon, his third worst day was on the road against Detroit, 3.1 yards per attempt. And then he had 3.7, which was right in the middle in that game, uh, this last game at home. Aaron Jones, actually, you know what? No, it was on the road for Aaron Jones, too. 2.8 yards while in Detroit is all he had. Uh, this last time at home, four, which is right in the middle. So kind of a tough sell, I guess. I mean, clearly Detroit, especially considering Detroit is one of the worst run defenses in football, for them to kind of hold us to two of our lesser games, you know, if you look at their average compared to their season average, it's going to be significantly less against Detroit. Whether it's Jamal tipping them uh, some information or just them doing a really good job of understanding what we do and figuring out how to stop it. And, and here, here's, here's the bigger issue, though. This is what teams do. They're go, every team is going to figure, figure the other team out. You're going to get figured out. That's when you have to adapt. Everybody has to adapt, and that's what I've always said about coaches. There's several layers to being a good coach. There's, uh, you know, can you copy as in like just transfer a playbook from where you came to where you are, that's sort of base level, and pretty much everybody can do that. Can you then take it and apply it so that it makes sense for the team you have? You know, make some adjustments and tweaks so that it fits the guys, you know, Joe Barry, not just taking from what they did over in L.A., but applying it to what they have in Green Bay with those kind of adaptations and things. But then there's... Once you get figured out, can you sort of modify what you do? Can you take concepts that are going on around the league and apply that to what you do? You know, you saw that with Jim Leonard, taking a little bit from what he did over here, taking a little bit from, 
you know, the, the, this other defensive coordinator that he worked with, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, which I shouldn't because I went to school with somebody with the same name. Um, and then a little bit of the, the NFL stuff, but also some of the college stuff, right? Because it was a very pro-heavy defense. But then also he stole some stuff from Saban and some different things and made it into his own little defense. Can you do that? Can you look around the league? Can, can you look at it and say, here's a problem that teams are starting to cause for us. And I'm going to look outward and see, or, or inward, if I can come up with it, great. I'd, being an innovator is great. But can I at least look outward into the league and say, here are some trends. Here are some things. Here are some other teams that are overcoming that. Here's how they're doing it. So I'm going to take that concept, apply it to the guys we have, and see if we can use that to overcome. That's the next iteration. If you can't, then you get that situation where you're, you're a... Uh, flash-in-the-pan coach who comes in, implements this scheme, and as soon as the scheme starts to wash away, you're useless and your team sucks. Now, I don't think we're necessarily there, but Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry and these guys need to be able to demonstrate that as the league starts to figure them out, the, the players and the scheme and everything else, and they know what plays you're running, they understand the concepts, and they understand how to stop it. Um. Once they get to that point, you need to be able to demonstrate that you can continue to evolve and adapt yourself. And um, if they can't, then there's there's no point. We have to move on. And again, the whole, well, he was 13 win three years in a row. That has nothing to do with anything. I don't care what he did in 2019 or 2020 or 2021. This is 2023. And teams are playing you differently now. The NFL has evolved since then. It's a very rapidly evolving league. And especially when you're talking about the NFC North, the Vikings, the Bears, the Lions, granted uh, Bears and Vikings have new coaches or whatever, but the Lions now have had a couple years to look at what you do. They're starting to figure it out a little bit. The Vikings and the Bears, um, the, the Bears in particular, their head coach is a defensive guy. Give them another year to look at what you do and figure out what you do and figure out how to scheme against your style of offense. They're going to do that. They're going to adapt. And if you don't figure out how to adapt back, and we're just we're just gonna suck, period. But anyways, uh why don't we take a break right here? And um we will come back on the other side and um do some more calls. How's that sound? Good? All right. Talk to you in a bit. Bye. I love you. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So US Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, Ryan. Um, I'd already called and you know, mentioned that I think we need to address offensive line in an early round, first or second. And yeah. they're still listening to the packing after dark. I haven't got to any of my calls yet, but um, I know there's a bunch of them. And uh, But just with uh, all the talk of Aaron Jones leaving and going to A.J. Dillon, I think that just more leans on us needing better offensive line play because yeah. a lot of our good running game is Aaron Jones. You know, he, he makes that first guy miss in the backfield or whatever. He's, he's very shifty. You know, if we're going to A.J. Dillon and we're going to be pounding the ball, Road grading team, we need better uh, better run blocking. So, yeah. um, I don't know. Typically, that's not been us in the past, but if Rodgers and Dylan are going to go, we're definitely going to switch more towards run blocking linemen than pass blocking. So, um, I don't know what your thoughts are. Not something different to look at, you know, good run blocking, offensive linemen. Um, go back, go. 
Yeah, people are struggling to hang up the phones. We got uh, we got two minutes left of this. You guys want to listen? See what's going on for the next two minutes? <laughs> Anyways, maybe it's just Google has figured out how to hack your guys' phone. Like, no, we're not going to hang up. We're going to listen. Um, no, I think that's a it's a fantastic point. I hadn't really thought about. Um, you know, we we talked about again from the data and analytics community. They'll tell you that. Running the ball well has more to do with a good offensive line than good running backs, which breaks my heart because I want Bijan, but it is what it is. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you do, and it sounds like they want to retain Aaron Jones, but if you do plan to move on with just A.J. Dillon, you assume some regression in your ability to run the ball, but you can counteract that by getting good offensive linemen, which makes sense because you need to do that anyways. And like you said, maybe we focus a little bit more on run blocking. I don't necessarily know if we will. I think pass blocking is always going to be a premium, but... If you can find guys that um, have that baseline of just being, you know, you're a great pass blocker, cool. But I would also like you to be able to demonstrate a great run blocking skill set. Um, I, I, I could see that in terms of maybe they're going to go sort of in that route. Um, and the other good thing is, I, I really think, from my perspective, there's a lot of really good run blockers. Um, at the very least, there's a lot of really mean guys. I remember last year there were a couple guys that were seen as mean, mauling types. just seems like everybody this year is. Um, I can't necessarily speak to Paris Johnson. I haven't really watched him yet. But Peter Skaronsky, 100,000%, is just a mean, mauling person. <laughs> Broderick Jones is disgusting. Osiris, Go watch Osiris Torrance if you can find him out of Florida. A lot of times it's just... Um, They'll just have like Florida offensive line versus this defensive line. But just go watch Osiris Torrance. You can't miss him. He's the biggest person on that entire offense. He's just a, a mountain of a human being. And he just throws people around. Like I said, the, the, the blocking style of all these guys, including the Georgia tight end, um, is to just envelop people. They just absolutely swallow them whole and move them down the field. And so I, I do think that works to our benefit. And if we did go, and I don't necessarily think we will, obviously, it's pretty low probability, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. If we did, for example, draft Peter Skaronsky first and then came back in the second round and drafted Darnell Washington, we're, first of all, you're helping, I'm not going to say the cheesy line again, but you're helping the run and pass game. You've got ad additional run blockers, in your offensive line and a dominant run blocker um, at tight end now. And then in the pass game, you have an improved pass blocker as well as a pass blocker slash receiver. Not, a, not, not an elite one in my estimation from Darnell Washington, but it helps in both areas. And um, if, you're, if you are moving to Jordan Love, that helps tremendously. I mean, to improve the pass blocking, number one, to improve the run game, number two, which is important for a young, learning quarterback, but then to also get this sort of safety net, Darnell Washington, who's kind of just going to be this big body. You know, he doesn't really need to be open, <laughs> you know? You just kind of throw it to where only he can grab it, which is he's got quite a catch radius, and um, just kind of bail you out of some situations, especially when you're talking about dealing with short situations because you're running the ball so well. I really like that. And then, um, you know, you get people to cheat upwards if they dare to try to stop the run, and you've got Christian Watson over the top. I don't know, man. I could see it. I could absolutely see it. Or, you know, obviously you can grab another wide receiver and still get an offensive lineman because there's a bunch of really talented offensive linemen in this early part of the draft. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree on all counts. Hey, Ryan, this is Dan from Indy. Hey. So, uh... I'm, I'm with you all season is that kind of like my <laughs> favorite part of the season as well because all the strategy that goes into it and all the discussion. But anyway, um, my big question is, and this is it's kind of a big one, um, looking at the rookie class with like their ending PFF grades, how big of a second, how big of a leap going into their second year will put them in the top 32 category. Like, for Quay Walker, what was his ending grade? And is he already a top 32 linebacker? Devontae Wyatt, how big of a leap does he need to go from where he's at to get into that top 32 conversation? Like, what 
And well, we only really need to talk about like the six guys who was actually out there and performing. So, Quay Walker, uh, Devontae Wyatt, Christian Watson, uh, Romeo Dobbs, Zach Tom, and Kingley and Igbari. So, yeah, if you want to give some input on that, because, um, yeah, the, the, the Legion, Legion of Boom has always been in my head ever since, like, this draft class came out. Like, I obviously, Gutekunst nailed this draft, but what kind of second-year leaps do these guys need to have, and is it more, is, is it a tiny little hop, or do, like, full-on, like, leap that they need to do? But, yeah, give me your thoughts. Um, talk to you later. Bye. So, uh, yeah, just trying to figure this out. So, Quay Walker actually has to make a, we'll start from the first and move on, a very significant jump. Been a lot of um, hype about his statistics. And, yes, he's, you know, the tackling and all that is really up there. He had a 51.9 grade as a rookie, which sucks. He has a 34 run defense grade. Um so that's pretty problematic. He's at 76 uh, is his rank. To get to top 32, the 32nd ranked guy has a 68 overall grade. So, you know, I mean, it's not that massive of a jump when you think in terms of year one to year two going from a 52 to a 68. I think that's a reasonable jump. But it was a it was a pretty bad year. Um, not super debatable in that regard. Did he get better down the stretch? Not really. I, I think the the you saw more consistent. Consistent is a terrible word because he couldn't be any more inconsistent. Um, you saw less stretches of bad games. So, for example, from week three to week six, three, four, five, and six, terrible. Just an absolutely abysmal 30, 40, 30, 40. After that, though, you've got, again, just wildly inconsistent. 70, 70, 40, 60, 70, 30, 60, 80, 30, 70, 40. That's how he ended the season. So he basically only had good games two times in a row, weeks seven and eight against Washington and Buffalo, 78 and 75. Um, wildly inconsistent. So clearly the talent is there, right? 76 against Chicago, 78 against Washington, 75 against Buffalo, 73 against Tennessee, 87 against LA, 71 against Minnesota. He had a lot of really good games. The problem with Quay is how many bad games he had. 40 against Detroit, 40 against New England, 40 against the Jets, 40 against Detroit, 30 against Miami, 30 against Tampa, 30 against the Giants, and 30 against Philly. You can't do that. You can't be good half the season and garbage half the season. That's not a thing that you can do. But add in a little bit more consistency. You take half of these bad games, turn them into good games. I think he's already there. So is he close in terms of it's a very doable jump. Of course it is. Is he close into in terms of like he's currently ranked 34th and he needs to get to 32nd? No. No, he's very far away. In terms of Devontae Wyatt, the lesser talked about, it's funny because everyone's like, Quay is already there. He's the guy. He's legit. Devontae Wyatt has some growing to do. He ranks 30th on the season. But he's already top 32. Um, and he started coming on strong down the stretch, which is fantastic news. Um, he also... He doesn't have as many negative swings. You know, we look at Devontae Wyatt, and he gets knocked for how many bad games he had. He had significantly less than Quay did. He had a 40 against Chicago when he played four snaps. He had a 30 against Philly, and then he had a, a 49 against Miami, 49.9, basically a 50. Most of his games were average, um, you know, 50s, 60s uh, against Dallas, Minnesota. Minnesota were in the 50s, Detroit, the Jets, Tennessee were the 60s, and then Buffalo, Washington, LA, 70s, but then Tampa Bay, Chicago, and Detroit, or Tampa Bay, Chicago, 80s, Detroit, 90. Um, and then, you know, again, just in terms of getting better over time, three out of his last five games were really good. Uh, two of them were basically elite. So, yeah, so he had a 69.9 grade, a 70 overall is fantastic. Already being in the top 30 as a rookie, very small sample size. But, you know, compared, I mean, it, it was enough that when you filter out, you know, PFF has it where you do 20% of the maximum. So the most snaps anybody had was 952. You need at least 20% of that. That's always what I use to filter everything out. He's in that range. 
he had 224 snaps. Jordan Davis, uh, who was the other rookie, he had 225. He had one more snap, and everybody's praising him to the hilt as being the greatest guy ever. They basically had the exact same grade and the exact same amount of snaps. <laughs> In fact, they did have the exact same amount of pressures. The only difference is Jordan Davis had zero sacks. Devontae Wyatt had two. Who would you rather have? I'm not knocking Jordan Davis, I'm just saying. Give me the two sacks over the uh, 1.5 extra PFF grades. Um, and you had a few others. You know, uh, Milton Williams was in the 300s. Uh, Chris Wormley was in the 300s. So a lot of these guys were um, not utilized a ton. But, I mean, there's there's every reason to be excited about Devontae Wyatt. I don't, I don't know that we're talking about it enough, myself included, especially considering how much I loved Devontae Wyatt coming out. Um, I think I just kind of gave up because I weren't using them and he had so many down games. I didn't really, it kind of snuck up on me a little bit how impressive this really is. And he ranks 29th, 29th best pass rushing defensive tackle on the team. So good news. Um, Christian Watson is already in the top, uh, top 32. He ranks 22nd in both overall and receiving grade, which is fantastic. Um, again, as a rookie, if you can get to 70, that's really impressive. For him to be at a 77, that's that's quite high um, for for a guy that's, especially considering how he got off to a pretty slow start. Um, one good grade in, in the first eight weeks, basically, which is only five games, but still. Um, but he came on real strong, especially weeks 12, 16, and 18. 18 being his highest graded game of the season. So, um, yeah, he's already there. Romeo Dobbs is outside the realm quite a bit. Uh, he ranks 84th. He had a 62.6 uh, grade. Top 32, you'd need a 74, which is better wide receivers in the NFL. Um, so again, a, a doable jump, 62 to 74, but he's quite a ways away. And then Samore Ture, uh, despite all the hype, was one of the lowest graded receivers in all of football, even if you remove all filters. Um, out of 226 total receivers, he ranked 213th. So it was it was bad, which is why I've been continually trying to get people to pump the brakes on Ture uh, with all the excitement. Um, can he get better? Sure. Do I have high expectations for a seventh-round pick to become a great wide receiver? No. Do I think he can take a jump into being more of a semi-competent role player? Sure. But again, seventh-round pick who is uh, bottom, what, bottom 10 in the NFL, bottom 20, 15, whatever? Uh, no, I don't see him quite getting there. Um, we'll jump to, jump to Zach Tom. I'm not even going to do Sean Ryan because that's pretty obvious, but Zach Tom, he actually ranked 41st among all tackles. He had a 68 grade to be at uh 32nd. You're looking at a 71.6. So he's very close. I mean, he's, he's knocking at the door 68.3 compared to 71.6, um, 3.1. And in terms of pass blocking, he's already 19th. So I would probably, considering that's the more important aspect, I would probably say that he's a, a top 32 type of guy. It's just the run blocking that's pretty severely lacking for him. And considering the lack of experience, the lack of time playing, uh, the fact that they moved him from position to position to position, I think it's, I don't want to say safe to say as though it's its a certainty, but it's reasonable to believe that given a full, uh, if you were to give him a full season at one position, let's say we called him our full-time right tackle, it's Bakhtiari and Tom. Do I think he gets that additional bump? I mean, he could go backwards, but I, I, I would guess he gets to that point, yeah. And then uh, Kingsley Enigbare ranked 84th among edge rushers with a 61.4 grade. Top 32, you would need to have a 75. So again, semi-doable. I would put it on the low end of probability. Um you know, again, he's he's a later round guy, and he was for a reason. It's a pretty sizable jump. You know, I mean, if you want to tell me he goes from sixty one to sixty eight, cool, and that's a pretty big jump. That would put him at uh, about forty eighth, which gets him a lot closer. But to jump, especially as a late round second uh, year guy, from a sixty one to a seventy five, which is by the way where the premier edge rushers, Cam Jordan, had a seventy five. You know, uh, Marcus Davenport, uh, Demarcus Walker. I mean, this this is where they're at right now. You know, I mean, this is above Khalil Mack. And I know Khalil isn't what he used to be, but still, 
uh, Khalil Mack on a down year. If, you, if you're telling me Kingsley's going to be that, that's that's some pretty impressive stuff. So um, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate him being able to make that jump, no. Anyways, I think I covered them all. Kind of jumped around a little bit. But yeah, Wyatt, Wyatt and Watson, honestly, are uh, are the two guys that are the most promising. They're already in that range. And um, you get the feeling that they're just scratching the surface, you know. Um, Watson was not getting the attention he could have. I don't think he was getting the, uh, again, he was, he was, if you go back and watch, he's open a lot. He's just beating guys down the field constantly. And I think uh, the funny thing is a lot of the time when that was happening, especially early in the season, his job was to just clear out. And so you were never even supposed to look in that direction, which is, I, I think what Rogers was talking about when he said, he, he even said, you go back and watch the tape and he's open all the time. <laughs> He's constantly open, so we need to find ways to get him more involved. I think that was the point, right? You, we're going to send him down the field to draw away the safety, and then we're going to throw underneath, and you go back and watch it. Like, holy crap, did he get open? He wasn't supposed to get open. But they're, they're just scratching the surface with figuring out how to utilize that guy. And uh, again, Wyatt, the guy didn't play it all this year. I mean, barely. And he's already up there. So that's where I would be the most excited. After that's probably Zach Tom. And then... Then you kind of get into Romeo Dobbs and Quay territory, where I'm a little bit skeptical at this point, but also you've seen the upside. We've seen the upside of Romeo Dobbs, and it's great. We've seen the upside of Quay, and it's great. Just need to see if we can get more consistency out of them, or if they're just going to be sort of those like Alan Lazard-type players where they have these really great games, and then they disappear for a few weeks, and then they come back and have a great day, and then they disappear for five weeks, and that's how they operate as a number two. I don't know. Hey, Ryan, it's Brian from Illinois. Just looking at the QBs for the people in the playoffs. We yep. got people like Justin Herbert, uh, Lawrence, Tua, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar, if he plays. Um, question marks on the San Francisco is at Purdy. Uh, Seahawks, that's iffy. Uh, Tom Brady, Jack Prescott, it just skews young. And that's why I think we got to go younger. Hurts, forgot Hurts. That's just, let's go younger with it. You know, take it easy, but You know, it's funny you mentioned that because there's almost a parallel going on here, which is funny because we were on the opposite side of the parallel in 2018. In 2018, the Packers and Falcons were on an identical trajectory. They were dominant teams for many, many years, especially their offenses. Packers and Falcons offenses were just sickeningly good, uh, especially at home. Couldn't beat them at home, just tearing everybody up. And suddenly in 2018, both teams went to zero. They both sucked. The Packers tore it down and rebuild, and in one year, they're back on track. The Falcons still have not gotten their footing since. Because they stuck with Matt Ryan, they stuck with everything else, they continued down that path, they started pushing more money into it, um, they stuck with the same coach and the same this and the same that. They, they just they tried to just stay there and fix it and hope that we can just fix it as it is. And we went a different route. Now, I mean, we stuck with the same quarterback, but we changed the scheme, we changed the quarterback, we, we gutted the locker room, we brought in all new free agents, we did a whole bunch of stuff. So the point is, we tore it down, re- we rebuilt, and we changed you could say, in a way, that the Eagles and the Packers had a similar situation in that we both drafted quarterbacks. We were both mocked and ridiculed. I mean, Jordan Love was laughed to scorn. If anybody was laughed at more, it was the Eagles for drafting Jalen Hurts. It was the dumbest thing anybody had ever done in the history of the universe. Can't believe you guys drafted a quarterback, especially Jalen Hurts in the second round, who's not any good. And what happened is they played Jalen Hurts. And they invested in him, and they built around him, and they, you know, because they have a plenty of money, because Jalen Hurts is basically free, um, they got the defense going well, and then they built up the offensive line, which they, they've they've had a good offensive line, just like the Packers do, but but it's, it's a good offensive line, and then they went and got some great wide receivers, and so they've got the situation where he's in a really easy environment. They've got a great defense, they've got a great run game, and they've got these dominant wide receivers, and he's a good quarterback, but his ability to be good in this incredibly comfortable ecosystem that he's in has just created this great football team. 
And the Packers decided not to do that. Now, the Packers, I'm, 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 I'm not saying everything's exactly the same. They didn't have Aaron Rodgers going on an MVP run. But I'm saying, you're looking at the direction that they went, and you look at it and say, you bunch of idiots drafted him, and then you're playing him, and he sucks, and all of a sudden he kind of takes a step, and they invest in him, and they build around him, and it's like, dang, they're maybe the best team in football right now. And you look at the Packers, and we're trying to go the Falcons route. And now seems like the breaking point, because again, I get it. When you're when you're already a 13-win team, and you're dominant, and you've got an MVP quarterback, we're good, dude. Forget the Eagles. They can do whatever they want. But at this point, we're broken. And the question is, are we going to be the Falcons and continue to try to like stay exactly the same, but somehow get a lot better? Or are we going to do what we did in 2018 and be the team that says, let's refresh? You know, th- this this was kind of a question that came up on Twitter, and I, I tried to stay out of it. I responded to one person, but I stayed out of the rest. But um, somebody had, you know, talking about the Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love thing, and they they brought up, well, you know, in 2018, everything, everybody assumed that we were done, and then it got better. So, you know, shame on you for thinking that things won't just get better magically as they are. First of all, it's a terrible example, because in 2018, we didn't do it. We, we stuck with the quarterback, but everything else changed. We had a new GM, a new head coach, a new defensive coordinator. We, we gutted the locker room, and we brought in a massive amount of free agents. This isn't just a question of Aaron Rodgers. This is a question of our team overall and saying, what are the odds that if we continue doing the exact same thing, and that's what we're going to do, the exact same thing. If anything, we take a step back. We, we move on from Jones and or Amos and or uh, uh, Bakhtiari, whatever. Especially when you ask Aaron Rodgers or you ask Matt LaFleur what went wrong or even Gutekunst, they all pretty much say the same thing. Well, we, we struggled to rebound because we lost Devontae, and it was hard to kind of figure that out. Well, guess what? Devontae's not coming back. So explain to me why we get better next year when all the problems that we had last year are still here. And it, it, I'm, I'm really hard-pressed if, if you're going to say, well, Watson's going to take a step. First of all, Watson will not be Devontae. Second of all, Watson's already really good. So you can't blame Watson, even though that's what everybody's trying to do is throw him under the bus, which is hilarious. On one hand, he's the greatest thing ever. We love Watson. And, and the next moment, we're throwing him under the bus. Oh, Rodgers, yeah, what do you expect him to do with some bum rookies? Oh, excuse me, I thought Watson was a stud. What happened to that? But when we're talking about Rodgers, all of a sudden, they're a bunch of bums. Dobbs and Watson are trash. All the, if we talk about Dobbs and Watson, they're great. Unless we're talking about Rodgers, then they become trash. Same thing Bears fans do with their freaking offensive line. Oh, we love Tevin Jenkins. We love the, oh man, I can't believe how good this draft class is. Look at these tackles. Look at that. that, that, that. Then you talk about Fields. Our offensive line is trash. They're garbage. Burn them with fire. You think Watson is going to become Devontae? Watson's already a really good wide receiver. And if anything, he's already being held back. Dobbs is not going to take a step to be Devontae. What, what exactly are we going to do next year to completely transform this? It's a question I'm having. You, you explain it to me. Because we're not going to do what we did in 2018 and tear it down and rebuild. I mean, again, remove Rodgers from the equation. We keep Rodgers. Fine. How do we rebuild this? What do we do? What's the plan? Other than just gutting and then not adding. Because we can't add because we spent all the money going all in. There's no money. We had money to go all in because Ted Thompson never did what we are doing right now. Ted Thompson would never do this. And yeah, maybe we don't get those 13-win seasons without it, but we wouldn't be in this situation. So we have to do something different, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's where we're all at, but it seems like some people think, no, we don't have to do anything different. Things will just get better. Rogers' thumb will be better, and Watson and Dobbs will be better, and we'll draft some people, and everything will be great. Except that doesn't explain how we're going to fix the defense, the fact that we're going to be losing Amos, and our safeties are going to go to zero, and I doubt our special teams will be as good. I mean, you've got a regression to the mean situation there where I think I don't think our special team is going to be number one. I mean, there's regression every year. So I'm, I'm not even looking at it in terms of how can we get better. It's how can we not get worse? That's the first step. How do we stop the bleeding? And then from there, explain to me how we get better and, and so much better that we go from not even a playoff team to Super Bowl contenders. Because I don't see it. Again, I, you do whatever you want with Rodgers. You can keep him. You can, you can move on from him. You explain it to me, though. Because the, the, the problem is if we don't change things drastically, we have no leeway. We have no wiggle room to make drastic changes, bringing anybody in or doing anything. 
And so everything stays very stagnant. And it's hard to sell the idea that we're going to be drastically different while being the exact same. Well, Roger said, you know, we're, we, we're a few players away and maybe those players are on the team. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe we're a few players away and maybe they're on the team. But again, that doesn't even take into account what we're going to be losing because next year we're going to have new issues. So yeah, we solved, uh, suddenly we have good wide receivers, which we did have this year, even though we're pretending we don't, just because we don't have Devontae. Suddenly that's the new standard for Packer fans. You have the number one wide receiver in football, or you don't have good enough wide receivers. Okay, well then you're never going to have good enough wide receivers, because we're probably never in this franchise's history going to have another Devontae Adams. So you got to let that go. And again, none of this explains how even if we build a great roster like we had in 2019, 2020, 2021, even if we build it and we have everything we need and we're playing really well, explain to me how we stop all this collapsing stuff. There's so many questions that don't make any sense, especially if we don't change anything. And I don't understand that strategy of let's just not change anything because then it'll just get better by itself because I have this mistaken uh, recollection that that's what we did from 2018 to 2019. We didn't change anything. It just got better. That's not what happened at all. We changed everything. It's the only reason Aaron Rodgers got better. He didn't just magically get better. Like, oh, he, he had a down year and then he just got better. Like, it was crazy. Like, you, we doubted him and then he just got better. Nope, that's not it. We brought in Matt LaFleur, who brought in a different scheme that helped him to get better. It's another thing that annoys me with the whole Mike McCarthy thing. Like, oh, Mike McCarthy's scheme was better. Really? Because you kind of sucked down the stretch there. And if he had stayed and we had kept running those same plays you would have continued to suck. So maybe a little less complaining about the Shanahan, Matt LaFleur scheme because it revitalized your freaking career and it gave you two MVP seasons and all you're going to do is cry about it. Okay. Yes, Mike McCarthy was significantly better. Got it. But again, whatever the issue is, it's not changing. Same scheme, same players, same quarterback, same everything. This is it. This is, this is you know, again, it made sense before to go all in doesn't make sense anymore. None of this makes sense anymore. I was uncomfortable with this all-in nonsense, even when we were a good football team. We're a bad football team that missed the playoffs and whose quarterback is not even a top 10 quarterback right now. There's no excuse to say, let's run it back, boys. Run what back, dude? Come on, one more year. One more year of what? Well, it'll be better. Why? Well, because Rodgers is the GOAT. Okay, well, that's stupid. He was the GOAT this year too, right? Well, yeah, but he doesn't have wide receivers. Well, he's not going to get him next year. Well, we could draft him. Oh, why? So you can complain, oh, yeah, rookie wide receivers again? You can piss and moan about how, oh, you just give him rookies and expect them to be good? I thought that wasn't good enough. And we don't have any money to go out and get him those stud wide receivers, whoever it is you think they are that just don't exist in the world. But suddenly we're going to go out and pay for these elite wide receivers that are going to make Rodgers great again, which you shouldn't need if you're a great quarterback to begin with, but we'll leave that alone. We're going to go get these elite wide receivers with no money because we have no money because we spent all the money reinvesting in this Aaron Rodgers offense, bringing everybody back. So again, I'm open to it, but somebody has to explain because I can't think of one scenario in which this is a cohesive and coherent thought. We want to keep everything the same and expect everything to be different. That doesn't make any sense. If you can make it make sense, I would love for you to call in and explain it to me because I'm ready to be on board with it, because I think he's coming back anyways, and I want to be excited about it. So help me to get excited about Rodgers coming back, but it has to make some kind of sense. Maybe if we stitch together healed thumb another year with the receivers, plus they get marginally better, although I don't expect massive jumps, because again, Christian Watson's already a very good wide receiver. I don't think he's going to get too much better than that. Maybe he will. I don't know. I don't really expect it though. But if we kind of stitch all these things together, maybe you kind of come up with some kind of improvement. Doesn't really fix the locker room issues. Doesn't fix the defense's issues or any of the regression issues, guys leaving issues. Also, all that really does is get us a little better than we are. Doesn't really put us in the same stratosphere as the top teams, but we're kind of getting somewhere, I guess. I guess all I'm saying is if you expect a drastic change, you should expect to make drastic changes. And if you're not willing to make the drastic changes, you shouldn't expect a drastic change. You can decide what the drastic change is, and I'm open to it. But if you're going to tell me, I don't want anything to change, but I expect drastic changes, I just can't get on board with that. So let me know what changes you'd like to make. Maybe it's Lafleur. Maybe that's the drastic change. You know, we brought in a new coach with a fresh scheme and Rogers thrive. Maybe we run that back again. I mean, that's not going to happen, but we could at least have the discussion as a hypothetical. 
You know, what if, what if Andy Reid came to the Packers? Would, would, would that bring this thing to light? It very well could. What if, you know, the Buffalo Bills scheme came to Green Bay or something? Could that revitalize this team? Maybe. Maybe it could. It's not going to happen, but it, it's worth a discussion. And then, then we get into the realm of what sense does it make to throw away Rodgers because it's of a scheme issue? To which I would reply, well, it doesn't make sense, but considering we're not getting a new, ho- new head coach, we might as well move on rather than continuing down a stupid path. Because either way, we're, we're stuck in a bad situation. We might as well not compound our issues. Because again, the burden of bringing back Rodgers is solely on the idea that we will win a Super Bowl. That's the belief. I believe we will get to that point. Just like in 2020, 2019, 20, like we believe, like it, it's not, not, not that it's 100% certainty, but we're certainly good enough to go on that run and be able to do it. And if nobody believes that, what are we doing? And I don't think anybody believes that. I really don't, that we're going to bring this team back and win a Super Bowl. Borderline seems silly to me. Again, there's a path. If we just take all the good parts and stitch it together and assume everybody gets better and nobody leaves, sure. And if you flip a coin a hundred times, maybe it could be heads every single time, but it's probably going to be a couple tails in there. Anyways, I'll leave it at that. Thank you guys so much for calling in. Please keep them coming. we got a bunch of calls, which is great, but eventually we're going to get caught up. So keep them coming in. Again, love to get some draft uh, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, opinions, desires. Uh, tell me your favorite guy, uh, free agency, whatever. Keep them coming. But anyways, have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.